0: Hey everybody, this is Seth. Um, we had a slight mishap on this one where my audio cut out about halfway through the recording. And so I ended up having to resurrect my audio that had bled through James's microphone. And so you'll notice about halfway through all of a sudden my audio gets a bit echoey. Um, but Colin and James still sound great, so I just wanted to go ahead and, and warn you that that happens. So, hope you enjoy the episode. I was a friend of James'. He taught me...
1: But when you kill, you pay for it. Kill our
2: Father, the sleeper has awakened.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm Jameis. <laughs> and I am a friend of Jameis. <laughs> right. Otherwise known as Colin. Also known as Colin. <laughs> and, and for any of you nerds out there, who I'm presuming you are, if you're listening to our podcast, uh, it's our 50th episode. It is. You know, <sighs> so that is uh, like 49 more than I thought we'd ever do. So um, <laughs> after after the first one took three recordings. You know, technically we've done more than
3: 50 because episode one took several takes yes. to make something that we were not totally embarrassed to have out
0: on the internet. Yeah. And right. we have one we circular filed. so. Well, the one we did when I was in Italy, where the lag was so bad we couldn't get a conversation going. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, for the big 5 we decided to do something super classic, which actually had its 50th anniversary last year, and that is Dune by Frank Herbert, which is a Hugo and Nebula Award winner from 19-something. 66, perhaps? The 20th century. 66 it is. And it shared with somebody, didn't it, that year? Nope. Oh, Yes. And call me Conrad by Roger Zelazny, yep. writer of the Amber series. Right. So, since we're covering uh, Dune, I thought I should greet everyone in proper Fremen fashion, Subak Ulkuhar, which, as far as I can tell, is the Fremen. What it is, yo? What it is, yo? Or are you well, is the, Right. That's part of the appendices in in the you know otherwise skinny book <laughs> Dune. Um, <laughs> this is this is one that we kind of had had on the list and thought it'd be a great one to do, but we didn't think we'd ever convince James to do it. Right. Um so uh, but we found a way, and we'll get back to that <laughs> yes um, it is probably a good idea to talk about our any any personal history with the dune series of books, films, TV things uh, before we get started so James, uh, I think you have the the that's smallest big fat. No. <laughs> okay no yeah. prior experience with nope, it. in just, any way uh, shape or form
1: no nope, just cultural awareness, I suppose okay
0: what about you, Colin? I will insert my Maybe standard. I should go second.
2: <laughs>
1: so I watched the
3: movie when it came out in 1984. I read mm-hmm. the book when I was in middle school. Uh I know I've read it at least once more since then. Uh, I missed seeing the um sci-fi series, mini series mm-hmm. when it was on cuz so I think we turned off the cable then or uh, we were having children or doing something else busy that weekend. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, wife having a baby. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, Tim was – no, he was born in 2001. Yeah. Like mindless. It was so. an interstitial. I was up all night
3: with children during that time. Ah, gotcha. What other books have you read? I started reading the sequel to Dune, and I don't think I got farther than 20 or 30 pages. I just oh, no. Oh, I okay. could
0: not handle it Dune a middle schooler. And you have not gotten back to it? No. Wow. Okay. See, I figured huh. this would be like the Stephen King thing where, where you're like, yep, I've read all of it. So right. shut up, muggles. No, <laughs> not this time. Okay. So for my personal history with it, I believe Dune was one of the books that you recommended that I read to become a better nerd. And I think I require re- recall um, saying to you, so does anything happen in this book ever? <laughs> and, hey, there's no world building. Yeah, uh, and, There's and no songs. You you admonished me that as long as I got through. That's
1: not true. There is songs. <laughs> yeah, he's rats. It's terrible. I he's mean, janking my
0: chain, man. I um, <laughs> he has written
1: songs and books. It's dumb.
0: Anyhow, so uh, you you replied, just get through the and attack, and then I think you'll <laughs> enjoy it from there, which was true. And and I did I persevered and got through the book. I did not see the film in the theater. Did you see it in the theater? or Did you see it on home video? I probably saw it on home video. Okay. 1984, I would have been like 11, so I was 14. but uh, I had also checked out the sci-fi miniseries from the library because I knew that it existed and and I did watch the film as well on on kind of home video. I don't remember if I inflicted it on my wife. Um, <laughs> but we inflicted it on James's wife and we'll get back to talking about <laughs> that. <laughs> um, but I, I also had checked out um, the audiobook from the library um, that I've been re listening to on my phone actually. Um, At what speed? Uh, today I was listening to it at two two speed, double speed. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I don't know what the speed is on the <laughs> on, on the uh, cloud reader app. It doesn't tell you. It just says normal, fast, or fastest. Hmm. So it sounds to me like two x.
1: Were you on fast or fastest?
0: I was on fast, and I moved to fastest because I want to get through the audiobook, <laughs> and it's totally it seems listenable. Like
1: fast would have been one and a half. And fastest would be like two.
0: Yeah. I think that's that's what it is. Yeah, I switched to fastest is my point. Gotcha. I'm curious if there's anybody out there who wants to confess to listening to things at faster than 1.0 speed. <laughs> Colin listens to them at 0. 0.8 just for <laughs> maximum, maximum enjoyment. I have to counterbalance what you've done to ruin them. <laughs> right. Um, I also watched the Children of Dune miniseries, mm-hmm. which is adapted from Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. Mm-hmm. I started listening to Dune Messiah and it, it just didn't get me. It was a little weird, I thought, and and I just – I gave up on it eventually. I may someday get back to it, but probably not. But it's one of those things where like I have no no desire to read further in the series. Have you ever looked up the history of publication of Dune and how hard it was for Frank Herbert to get it published? Really? No. I know that it was published uh, – it was serialized
3: first and nominated for the Hugos earlier, but only when it became published as a novel did it become – uh well it w- that's the award winning H- hugo book that we know
0: about now right but it was so it was such a big book that people didn't want to publish it but it ended up being published by Chilton which is best known for their like, the like auto maintenance yeah. manuals so, and yet, despite that, then it became this.
1: I didn't know Chilton did anything else but auto maintenance manuals. That's the only yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, After
0: changed. Dune, they may not ever again. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: But so, so it ended up being That's the first funny. science fiction book to make the New York Times bestseller list in both hardcover and softcover. Oh wow! wow. And then in 1984, when the film came out, it went back to the bestseller's list. <laughs> so,
2: nice.
0: so if there's nothing else nice we can say about the 1984 film, <laughs> yeah. and there may not be, um. At least it helped book sales. People probably had to go back to say, I had no idea what that was. I'd better read the book to figure out what really happened. Mm-hmm. Right. So we'll get a first reader's perspective on this, of course, from James. Right. Um, but we'll also have – we have two rereaders' perspectives. But mine, I've you know, i read, read it twice within 10 to 12 years. Okay. Um, where you read it a little more distantly. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm curious to see – you know what you thought because I have a couple texts texts from you that are <laughs> indicative of of some something. Um, but uh, well, I, it was a long time ago, and there had
3: been some bleed through of the memories. Like I would have sworn that the uh, weirding modules were in the book, and they're not. I remember arguing with you about that. Yeah, yeah, and uh,
0: I actually don't like them, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I
3: don't think they belong in the There's book. There's nothing to like yeah. about them. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, they're <It's>, terrible. <laughs> yeah. So of course, you know. We've, we've been concerned we, we, we can't ask James to, to read Dune, you know, for ages. <laughs> we're like, it'll take James a month and a half to read that book. Yes. Um, and so, of course, uh, we read it this time. Colin finished it, of course, first as, right. as per the use. Um, I took like three weeks to do it. Um, and James read it uh, pretty much in a weekend.
1: Yep. Two days.
0: Yep. Of course, you, were, you had chemical aids right. for it. Yes, I was spiced. <laughs> yes, he had the Gom Jabbar against <laughs> his nets all the whole time. Spice yes. assist. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, a little bit of whiskey. The water of life, as the James calls life. it. The water of life. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah did you did you find that uh, you said you um, you found that you kind of had imperfect memories of your your original read through? Do you remember what you thought of it in middle school? Were you engrossed by it?
3: I can remember what the book looks like. <laughs> I can remember the shelf of the library hmm. that it sat on. Funny. In the middle school, but uh, aside from plot, I don't remember much. I remember thinking it was really interesting, which is why I tried to pick up the second
0: book, and then I was like, "Whoa, this is weird." Well, it must have made enough of an impression on you that you recommended it to me. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those seminal sci-fi books, right? Yeah. June,
1: yes. But is it a seminal sci-fi book? Is it well, science is- fiction? Dun dun
0: dun. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Oh, why, why don't oh. we just get the cat out of the bag here? Is <laughs> is. I kept telling Colin, "I'm like, so it's a fantasy book. It's totally right. an epic <laughs> fantasy book." I think really what it is um, is more like an epic science fiction book, and right. an epic science fiction book feels like fantasy in a lot of ways because it has things like world building in it, right? Mm-hmm. Which these are the things that I don't usually appreciate in in fantasy books. Songs.
1: Songs has got songs. seriously Gurney. Yeah, shut up. It's got some <laughs> serious like you know empire empire politics going on. Right? Yep.
3: And that was one of the things that stopped me from continuing to read. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did a quick scan of the Wikipedia entry for this and did not understand until just recently that Dune's real story is a, is much bigger. I mean, it's about all of humanity right. in the future and how the Bene Gesserit's breeding program was supposed to bring this person out. Right. Um, and then he started to do things they didn't really count on. Right. It, it's almost like the plot uh, where Superman gets tired of fixing the world, so he's going to fix it so that
0: it doesn't need fixing any longer. Yeah. Uh, so, other other kind of fantasy tropes that I see in it are journeys. Um, you think about The yeah. Hobbit, right? Um, yeah, they, they,
1: they got the hero's they, – they, they, what is it called? The whole hero's the journey The hero's journey, thing? yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It
0: absolutely right. fits in there. They got the hero's journey thing. But also just, you know, Paul and Jessica going across the desert to the Fremen, and then the Fremen going between Sitch right. and Sitch. Yeah. Sitch and Sitch. What is it? Sitch? Sitch. Yeah. It has com- confusing names, where you have two major <laughs> characters, both with H last right. names, Um, neither of which have names that sound like normal names, like Thufir and Gurney. Right. Um, not necessarily recognized. Yeah, I was
1: kind of surprised Paul's name was Paul. (laughs) Or Jessica. (laughs) Given all the other names in the book, you have Paul and Jessica. What? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Unless, of course, he meant them to stand out because they're kind of the main character. Well,
0: Leto isn't that that weird a name. I think it's Greek, maybe. I don't know. Have you met anybody with that name before? Touche. I have not. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So I'm not totally – I mean, are you committed to the idea that it's a fantasy book? Um, no, I would agree with the epic science fiction book. Yeah. So yeah. I've, been, I've been kind of watching slash listening to a teaching company, uh, the Great Courses thing mm-hmm. called How Great Science Fiction Works. Right. And he kind of – the prof that's teaching it kind of sets right. out that fantasy takes place on worlds, in worlds. Science fiction takes place on planets. I mean of course there's that's a stretch because not all science fiction takes place sure. on a planet but yeah. what he, his point is um a world is not the same as like a universe it's a, it's narnia it's middle mm-hmm. earth um whereas science fiction is in alpha centauri solar system or you know around around a distant star so it's kind of places that exist or could exist where fantasy tends not to be. Now, of course, there's, right. there's other categories of, of fantasy, like urban fantasy, that are set in Chicago. Sure. Uh, <laughs> or or at, uh, at Hogwarts, right? Seattle. Yeah. And then there's fantasy, which takes place uh, like The Way of
3: Kings by Brandon Sanderson, which is definitely involving multiple worlds and is definitely mm-hmm.
0: fantasy. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's not that you can't, of course, have space travel in fantasy. But um, the other part of it was he, he kind of said that science fiction should be possible. At least conceivably possible. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 10,000 years that's in the future. What, that's what I would go yeah.
1: with. Is you're introducing technology that would be conceivably possible. The only problem- Not necessarily magic, right?
0: Right. But the only problem is there, do you completely exclude magic from science fiction? Because in the, in that case, of course, Star Wars isn't science fiction, and I don't think it is. I think it's space fantasy, but I don't know. You you go back to the uh, Asimovian thing, or, or Clark, or whoever it is, sufficiently advanced technology, right? Is yeah, indistinguishable from magic. Right. I don't know. I would be curious, uh, anyone who's read this book at least once, um, what do you think? Fantasy? Yeah. Science it's fiction? The gray line, I suppose. Yeah. Right? The world building is Great. the main thing to me that makes it feel like, like fantasy. Mm-hmm. But world building is not all, all created equal either. No. Right. There's, there's a skillful way, way to do world building mm-hmm. where you kind of, and I think Dune pulls it off pretty well, where it drops you in, uses words like the Chome Company and the Landsrad and the Padasha Emperor. And then, kind of expects you to go. Okay, those are things, um, and right. kind of draw inference from what it implies, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then those things get kind of uh, gradually checked off later in the book. You learn more about right. the Landsred. You learn more about the Chome Company yeah, just if from it was, repeated. If it was
1: like Tolkien or something. They probably would have gone into Podisian, who he was, right? And backstory, yeah, the entire history and the
0: corporation and that's history and <laughs> that would have been in the Silmarillion, probably. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes,
0: I guess we didn't really ask James. What do you think?
1: Well, I liked it. I think it was a good book. It wasn't as unbearable as you've made it out to be.
0: (laughs) I I don't think I said it was unbearable. I think I said it is an undertaking.
1: I didn't. didn't yeah, you know, maybe it was just because of all the, the griping you had about it. You prepared it for me properly. Probably.
0: Or I didn't feel like it was that bad
1: once I actually read it. It's, it's hard, hard to tell. It's similar to like,
0: <laughs> if you guys ever have kids, you're going to, you're going to be like, it's not all terrible. <laughs> like, like Colin and Seth have made it sound.
1: <laughs> um, get a dog. Right. <laughs> yeah. So some of that perspective, you know, I was like, oh, this isn't too bad. And I got, I got sucked into it. I liked it. It was good. I kept, you know, uh, I liked the way it was, at least in the ebook format. You know, each, each section was only like you know, ten pages, eighteen pages, twenty pages, right. something like that. Short chapters yeah, are, are like a big the, boon for a long book. Yeah, the mm-hmm. short chapters I think is probably what kept me going. Mm-hmm. It, it had the fantasy aspects, like you were saying, which I enjoy, mm-hmm. and also
0: had the science fiction, which I, I like. One of these times we just need to do a fantasy title um, because, like, I'm the the heretic against fantasy right. books. I'm I'm not a, <laughs> not the biggest fan, but you should pick me up pick and me. There, a there
1: was a point along uh, through while reading the book, I noted to Emily that like. I'm not sure I want to watch the movie because I'm really enjoying this book. <laughs> yeah, I remember. And I'm mentioned. afraid it's going to ruin
0: it. <laughs> yeah,
1: just because I know what movie making was like back then.
0: <laughs> well, so Colin on on the reread um, with all the whining about sphincters um, that you did, <laughs> spicy sphincters. <laughs> Colin texts me out of the blue. Yeah. It was kind of like the "what's old underwear" thing from right. <laughs> the d- Predestination. Yes, he emails me if I have to read about Paul Sphincter one more time. <laughs> yeah, so. And it's not Paul's sphincter, right? It's the, it's the still the tent. tent. It's yeah. the still
3: tent. Yeah. So it, they live in this desert planet and there's hardly <laughs> any water. And so water reclamation is a huge technology. And you're allowed to get out of your personal reclama- reclamation suit if you're inside of a an enclosure, a building or something else that reclaims water for you. And they were out in the desert and they had a tent and they kept talking about the sphincter of the tent. Yeah.
0: And it it is a very <laughs> frequent use of sphincter in that yeah. section. Uh, any other thoughts on on the reread? I'm glad I reread it to kind of set all those memories straight. Right. Well, so your your kind of concluding one was I finished Dune, my head hurts.
3: <laughs> uh, just because there is so much of Dune. The story of Dune isn't over at the end of the book. The story of Dune is the introduction to a larger a larger story, which we've just been introduced to. Paul struggles with the larger story all the way through the book, ever since he gets his, you know, mm-hmm. let's call them precognitive abilities for lack of a better sure. word. But yeah, holding all that in my head was Oh, incredible. And thinking about what it must be like to be able
0: to think like Paul. Right. Well, and how disorienting it was for him in places when he would have like that big branching predicting the future thing. Mm-hmm. But like in this cavern, you know, during the challenge with Jameis is a blur. Couldn't see Because there's yeah. too many, like too many decision points. Right. Okay. Well, let's, let's, but we're not going to do like a plot march through, though we haven't even done like the story. Can anybody do the story of this? At least necessary. Is it even possible? <laughs> We could cover uh, we cover the most popular aspect. And if we're going to talk right. about the movies, we should probably lay down some kind of framework. Yeah. Okay. okay. And, of course, as usual – and I don't usually say it. I just assume anybody who's listened to us for Spoilers. any length right. of time knows, yeah, that we're yeah. going to spoil it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, so, the book is 50 years old. The movies are 20 and – at least almost 20 and 30 years old. And so, yeah, screw it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't you try and give us a back of the envelope – Calculation. Okay. So there's a a universal- Summon
3: your Mentat powers. Yes, Mentat powers. (laughs) I want to go all Brad Dourif, but I can't do that on on command. (laughs) There's a universal empire. And uh, space travel through the empire is allowed through Spice, also called Melange. Spice comes from one planet called Dune. And if you you control Dune and control the Spice, then you technically uh, control the universe. Desert planet. And uh, there's all these families competing for- Power and control in the Universal Empire. And uh, on Dune, there's a transfer of power between one family, the Harkonnens, and their uh, blood-sworn enemies, the Atreides. Yes, the Capulets. Right. And Paul, right. Our, our protagonist, is an Atreides.
0: And uh, it's the story about how he um, – He comes to know his terrible purpose. That's Yeah. You, it's, that, that phrase is used throughout the book where he gets these bit, flashes yeah. of terrible purpose. Because he is – in some sense, is the result of a very, very long breeding program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Unbeknownst to him, but he's been trained. And I, re- One thing I really liked when I was listening to the audiobook was something I didn't catch the first time when Leto is talking to Paul and he says, um, you, you have mentat capabilities. And Paul says, but I thought part of the being trained as a mentat was that you couldn't know about it. Oh, I get it. Because he realizes he's been being trained as a mentat. Previously, but they hadn't told him about it. So yeah, he's like with that training from the, the Mentat training with the Benny Jesseret training and the fact that he right. – you know, that the breeding down through the time, he's the perfect person to be affected by the spice and have it do a particular thing to him. Right. But even then, you, you we haven't talked about the Benny Gesserit genetic breeding program.
3: We haven't mm-hmm. talked about how they go to worlds and change their mythology to right. protect them if they come to the planet so they can invoke these mythological memes and then right. people would, would revere right. them.
0: Yeah. The missionaria protectiva. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And then you know, through the book, as Jessica, who's a member of the Benny Gesserit and is Paul's mom, invokes these things, you're left wondering, well, how real is their religion if it's based on things that were implanted? A long time ago right. and is any of this really real or are they just fulfilling the prophecy so they can stay alive after they've been stranded on on dune right
0: it's a self-fulfilling prophecy right
3: yeah like calling your shot
0: after you can tell it's going to go in
3: <laughs> yeah yeah but you we could talk for 15 minutes about
0: the different aspects of the story mm-hmm. um and really then wouldn't really do it service, right i guess one of the other kind of key parts is on arrakis he meets the fremen who are the kind of Indigenous, I guess you would say, but you don't necessarily have to be from there to join the Fremen. Right. Um, but they, right. Th- on this planet where it's hundreds of degrees, they are gathering water because they want, they have this long range plan, um, kind of based on the planetologists. Mm-hmm. At least right. that's the imp- imp- impression I get that he had a plan to turn Arrakis from a dune planet, from a desert planet, into a normal planet with still some dune, er- you know, some desert areas. Which you would need, otherwise there's no worms. Yeah. But to bring life to it. And yeah, all of this is set in the midst of politics between the great houses um, in the empire and the threat of spice production being cut off. Yeah,
3: I haven't thought of it in terms of uh, different stereotypes of personalities, like the Harkonnens. Well, the Harkonnens are kind of like notorious capitalists. Oh, sure. And – the emperor is kind of like the British Empire in control of everything with the, with the royalty. Mm-hmm. And the Bene Gesserit, they're almost like you know the Catholics. And the right. Fremen kind of have a whole um, Islamic thing going on with yep. their jihads and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and al-Gaib. Yeah. yeah. And Hajj, right? They- um, and then you have Paul, who ends up kind of being a modern-day Renaissance man. He has the Mentat side and he has mm-hmm. the Bene Gesserit side. Mm-hmm. And he's able to unite those. Peacefully.
0: Well, kind of Lawrence of Arabia in a lot of ways. T. All e. Right. Lawrence. You have not seen Lawrence of Arabia? When I give you that look, does it really surprise you to see? <laughs> this is a
3: classic
1: film, Colin.
0: You need yes. to see it.
3: Yeah. Um, he's able
1: to cross all those lines
0: successfully, right? Yeah. 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 Well, and it fulfill all
3: those roles too.
0: Right. So um one thing I want to kind of broach as a initial topic for the book. Okay. Um, a technique that this book uses to let you know what characters are thinking is interior monologue and not just interior monologue that you normally get in a book from a character perspective, but from all the characters' perspective. Because like, if you have a book that's first person narration, you have their interior monologue. So like a book like *The Hunger Games, right? Sure. Is it from Katniss's perspective? I can't even remember. Yes. Um, Exclusively.
3: Yeah. Almost exclusively. Yeah.
0: Or even, even something like Ender's Game, right? Where, where it's in his head, it's not first person, but- you have his interior monologue, but you don't have everybody else's motivations. Right. Where in Dune, you kind of get everybody's. You do, yeah. You swap back and forth. Yeah. What do we think of that? I'm fine with it. It's an author device. Works yeah. for me. I okay. didn't mind it. I find it a little strange, just, just that it's everybody. Um, right. And I, I kind of go, well, why couldn't you express, you know, what everybody's doing in a different right. way? I think
1: for what it was, I think it was well done because I've read books where they do that, but you can't tell they've swapped characters quite. Well. Oh, Okay. And so you're, you're not like, sure who's thinking what? Right. Yeah. And you're, wait a minute, this doesn't sound like this guy. Oh, because it's not this guy. Okay. Yeah. A paragraph later you realize, oh,
0: they swapped characters. <laughs> I guess what I'd say is it's kind of, to me, like movie narration or like a voiceover kind of stuff in movies where if it's done right, it's it can be good. And if it's done badly, it can be wait, very bad. It seems bad.
1: like you're leading us somewhere.
0: <laughs> well, like I was trying to think of a of a movie narration kind of thing that I enjoyed, like like oh. an interior monologue, and and the example that I thought of was Shawshank more... Redemption. Shawshank Redemption is a good one, yeah, yeah. Um, that's more narration than interior monologue, right? Where like Warm Bodies, yeah. w- was one that I thought had a good interior monologue. Of course, it's kind of a comedy oh, right. film, yeah. and so so it worked to make it more humorous. But so you have to explain Zombies in Love. Yeah, I still don't get it. <laughs> it it's adapted. We should do it. It's a fun movie. It's Go fantasy. On. Zombies are possible. Getting memories from zombie brains, maybe not. But, uh, <laughs> or from, from human brains. but Right. Now you're going all Santa Clarita diet on us.
1: I have had brains I have not before. watched Really? Yeah. What kind? Calf. Okay. Apparently cat brains is a deluxe in Spain. So if I ever go to Spain, I'll try that. All right. <laughs> anyway, a little off topic. Yeah, that's kind of a conversation stopper, James. Not sure how to follow that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Where were uh, we? Other things, yeah. We just <laughs> throw out something if you want to talk about something from the book. I have a list, but I don't want to just go off my list. I do not have a list. So if we go off your list, I'm okay with that. Uh, do the worms make sense? Make sense how? So it's a desert ecology and yes. these things get massive. I mean, we do get some of the life cycle of them, right? And and I won't try and go into that now. And if one of you guys wants to do it, fine. <laughs> no, fine. Um, no, no, It's just, I, they, in some ways, they seem supernatural to me because they're that large. And what do they eat? Other worms?
3: Maybe they're like sand-dwelling whales, where there's things
1: in the sand that they process. Sand krill. Yeah. Sand krill. All right. All right. And I have to say, I didn't really put much thought into it, because they didn't really explore it in the book.
0: Yeah. Right. They were just part of the environment. They were there to be- They're not a hard science fiction creature, is what I'm saying. (laughs) And (laughs) and Dune isn't hard science fiction. No. Um, It's not about how the different things work. The, The closest you get to that is- thinking about the workings of the navigators. Um, and I really like the way the book kind of establishes a mystery of what's up with the navigators and doesn't really reveal it until the very end, which is cool. Unlike certain right. movies I can think of. Yes. <laughs> we might discuss those movies shortly. Yeah. Right. So one thing um a story with a good protagonist, you know, you need some good antagonists, right? Yes. Mm. And who is the antagonist of Paul? Is it the Baron Harkonnen? He doesn't even know he's alive for most of the book. Uh, or is the terrible for
1: part for a majority of the book? I think it's just himself battling his his destiny. Yeah. Essentially, I can buy that.
0: I really like the Baron. I
1: like the parts or, with or the Baron. his his ability is kind of battling that too. Right, he can't see past certain points and in his visions, and he's trying to get past it, fight it, right, right. and trying he's trying not to become the person he sees him becoming
3: right right there are two eventualities right he is either the leader of the universal jihad mm-hmm. or he's the tool of the Benny Gesserit. right and he wants he doesn't want either one, one, of one of those lives those. Right. so yeah i would go with his his destiny and actually the harkonans and the emperor are just a bump on the road
2: yeah
0: yeah they're they're just kind of a fly in the ointment in a lot of ways i i do like the baron as a bad guy i, I like his early scenes with with piter and fade and raban i i do think it's very interesting that Rabban is held to be this blunt instrument, right? Mm-hmm. That that I'm gonna I'm gonna make him squeeze Arrakis so that they'll welcome my beautiful fade, right? right. Yes. Yeah. And cool. yet Raban has an instinct that, Uncle the, the Fremen might be more of a threat than you think. There might be more of them. Right. And and he just the Baron just kind of waves it off. So you think he's yeah. this master tactician, but he's totally not. Right. Very prophetic. Something might be happening even these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think the Baron knows more about what's going on in Iraq than than the generals do. (laughs) Uh, Yes. That's low-hanging fruit to to pick on our fearless leader. How about Mentats? That is an interesting bit of world building, that computers are not allowed.
1: Was it that computers aren't allowed?
0: Mechanical computers. After the uh, artificial intelligence uprising. Yeah, the Butlerian Jihad. Right? Yeah. I think I missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so the idea is at least thinking machines are not allowed. Because that, that was my question, right? Does oh, right. Yeah, I do remember yeah. that part. Yeah. yeah. Does so this they're, mean they're, no – They com- shied
1: away from building like artificial intelligence and things like that,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So do, I, I guess my question on that one, does that mean right. no computers whatsoever exist and everything is all analog circuitry hmm. for all their control systems for everything? I
1: just assume they didn't have uh, advanced
0: – yeah. Advanced computers.
1: Or computers as we have them, right? Yeah. Aren't really artificial intelligence.
0: Yeah, so. but the, the Mentats are meant to process data, right? That's their whole function. So so it makes yeah, it seem like... Yeah, but process
1: data and come to a conclusion,
0: which a computer does not do, unless you
1: program it to do it. And then at that point... You are creating a a sense of artificial intelligence. Okay, I got you. Right? Yeah.
0: So it's not no neural network. They can still
1: have a computer to hold their you know database and spreadsheets or something, (laughs) (laughs) and then they look at the data and go, "Oh yeah, okay, it's going to come to this conclusion." All the way out. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Cooking recipes, schedules, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> <mental> <laughs> media communicate because they still have communication devices, right? Right.
0: Which it, are basically computers. Yeah, that's exactly my point. Yeah, it was it seems like they're in a society that does have that kind of technology. Right. It's not like Victorian and given era. Given the given the spice and the navigators, they don't even really need advanced computers to even
1: traverse space because right. of the abilities the spice allows the navigators to have. Yeah, and it's 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 a fair concern that they you know if they gather if they develop far enough on artificial intelligence they have like a robot uprising of some sort,
0: right? Yeah. So you're saying Mintets <laughs> definitely use Excel. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they uprose. <laughs> right. They're using Windows. <laughs> and then the Butlerian Larry and then the murders began. <laughs> the murders <laughs> began. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was kind of going, is this are we supposed to view this as like steampunk? Mm-hmm. But but I I don't think so. I think you're right, James, that there's right. computers as tools but not as
1: Right. Not not to replace Thinking.
0: Not to draw inferences and that kind of yeah. stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, kind of back to what you were talking about, James, about the hero's journey for Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember all the different steps of it, but there's definitely a point where Paul goes from being very much a kid to all of a sudden right. being really, really cold and and y and serious. Whiny
1: Luke to not whiny Luke. Right. Yes.
0: <laughs> Tashi station Luke to, to uh, Return of the Jedi Luke. Right. In the book? Yeah. Like basically, as soon as they have crashed, as soon as they've escaped the Harkonnen attack, and gone out into the desert, and Paul realizes the spice is everywhere. There's kind of a shift in his personality that's very abrupt to me, and it's probably you know it's probably yeah. If you think it's, about he it, he starts it's,
1: having like waking dreams, right?
0: Yeah, but he had had some dreams before. But yeah, he has that waking dream. He starts to talk to his but mom. Not the waking
1: ones. That's, that's, that was my point. Right. I, yeah. I think that that was for me. That was the, the flip. Yeah. He started having these waking dreams and all of a sudden he's like, oh, what just happened?
0: Yeah. And I think it's – maybe you're supposed to draw the inference that it's uh, a little coincidental, that it's just landing on Arrakis and consuming spice in any quantity mm-hmm. kind of flipped his Lison al-Gaib button or whatever. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
3: Hit
0: right. the right
1: bits.
3: Yeah. I don't remember that part of the story in the book. I remember it in the miniseries. Right. But, but the Paul of the book seems much more the Paul of the 1984 movie, who's – mature and mentat trained and I never really got the sense in the book that he
0: was a whiny brat. No, no. I mean, you get, you get a little bit of right at the beginning, right? I'm not in the mood.
1: Yeah. There's yeah. But that's just, I didn't, I I didn't see that as the whiny brat phase. Okay. I was just adolescent phase. Right. Yeah. To me, it, it, because it it, provided a good lesson in in my opinion as well. You know, like Gurney was saying, mood is irrelevant. Right. Right. But if you see it as whiny, that's, I could understand. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah, we'll t- we'll talk about if there's any any whiny stuff. Because
1: you do have adolescent children, I do not. So
0: true. I have a 15 year old. That is how and, they whine. And Paul so is Paul is 15. So yeah. <laughs> what I've got to take the garbage out. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say when Emily tells me to take the garbage out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we have often said that Emily already has children. <laughs> it's just it's it's just one one right. big uh, yeah. Well, and um. She sold you out when I, when I arrived here at 3, uh-huh. 3 p.m. And she right. said, James is just changing out of his pajamas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, yeah. So one thing about this book that I think is great is that because of the way it's kind of fantasy-ish mm-hmm. and doesn't really rely on tech, um, I feel like it really makes it a timeless book. Like this is a book that will hold up another 50 years. We've had discussions about how like the invention of cellular
3: telephone technology mm-hmm. changes what could happen in other in books in the past. Yeah. In mm-hmm. fact
0: just uh in a related podcast I think we had that discussion. We did. Yes, and we can, we will uh, make sure we talk about the other podcast before we finish. Yeah. Okay. We won't do it now. We break into yeah. the middle of this story. <laughs>
3: and and fantasy <laughs> seems to survive that a little bit better because it's not so reliant right. on, you
0: know, this technology or that technology. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because oh, here, yeah. you know, even even the idea that well, why didn't they just use you know communication to talk to the fremen or talk to whoever? And and the fact is, the book goes to great lengths to tell you that there's no satellite coverage of the southern reaches by design. By design, yeah, with, with bribes and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a point where Jessica actually thinks, "How do I get a message out to the Bene Gesserit because she wants to tell them about the fremen um, and and that they've got a reverend mother and, mm-hmm. and kind of let them know, hey, it all worked. <laughs> 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 all the uh, planting of the religion stuff." Yeah. Um, there's a whole appendix in the book of religion in Dune, and it's all about the formation of the Orange Catholic Bible, which is referenced a couple of times. And essentially what it is- Does this these, is
1: explain what that name means exactly? It
0: doesn't explain what it means, okay. but it explains what it is. And okay. and basically well, what it is, is this just massive- I kept getting hung up on the orange thing. I'm like, why Orange Catholic? Right. I remembered it being Old Catholic Bible, but oh, then, okay. then I thought well, it doesn't read a lot like the Bible, and it does in places, right. but some of the quotes I'm like- Pretty sure that one's not in there. <laughs> I've read the whole Bible a number of times. I can't remember if it if it went into what the name yeah, of it okay. was, or maybe the Council of Orange. I don't. I don't know. Right. Um, but uh, but it talked about how it was this massive ecumenical council of all the world religions, mm-hmm. where they basically agreed on what should go into it. Oh, okay. They they basically all agreed. Look, none of us can be the one right one. We've all got to be ra- wrong on a few things. And that's it, uh, lunacy. I know. And that's piracy. that's that to me is a little <laughs> fantasy because okay. I'm like no. <laughs> There is a possibility, from my perspective, there's a possibility that that one of them is right. I have mm-hmm. I have, a, I have a, a dog in this race, right. or a horse in this race, dog in this fight. But uh, there's also a possibility that all of them are wrong. Right. Those are kind of the two possibilities for me. But so you didn't buy it? No, I don't really buy it. But but I liked it as as a bit of world building, and I liked the fact that it was kept outside the um, the book in the appendix mm-hmm. um, because I thought yeah. you had enough in the book to let you know. Okay, this is a religious text. Of Some kind, right? But nobody seems to be overly religious, really, mm-hmm. except the Fremen
1: to the point of superstition.
0: <laughs> do you think, well, in a post 911 world with all the kind of Islamic sounding trappings of, of the Fremen mm-hmm. religion, do you think I wonder if it ever hurt sales of it, hmm. if it turned anybody off like our president? I, I'm, I'm yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: books in the Dune universe have been published <laughs> since 911. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's the whole um Brian
0: Herbert and Kevin J Anderson subseries. Yeah, yeah, there are now 18 books in in the entire universe. Yeah. Which is, yeah, amazing. I have not heard many good things about the further entries in the series after the original books.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I know that Kevin J Anderson is popular and, and even well regarded as a science fiction author, but the few things of his I've read, I really haven't enjoyed. Even the Star Wars novels, which for me says quite a bit. The Jedi Academy series?
1: Yeah.
0: I liked those ones, but I was young. Impressionable. Young yeah. and stupid. I don't know. Further thoughts on the book? Fremen Religion, Science and Technology. Yeah. We've kind of covered those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Worms. I did like the the, the sort of Worms. one technology thing, right? It was the shields and the idea of the shield lays gun interaction. Yes. Right. Don't cross the streams essentially. Don't cross yeah. the streams. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Um and then the like the fighting style that, that, that we're back to fighting with daggers and swords. Yes. Right. Which was Fascinating, and because of the shields, right? And it was it was a major problem in in the television adaptation, to me. (laughs) Uh, Not the movie, (laughs) not so much the movie. The movie, yeah. Okay, (laughs) we'll we'll get to the movie shortly. Um, remind me to get back to that. I'm going to make a note here. Sure. Okay, that
1: was kind of like the Matrix in that. uh, That that part reminded me of the Matrix because in the Matrix they don't use guns anymore because everybody can dodge bullets, and so they all use
0: swords and knives and stuff. Fisticuffs. Yeah,
1: they all learn kung fu. They all know the kung
0: weirding fu. Weirding way. Right. Okay. So that's another thing, right? Right. What did that say to you? The weirding way.
1: I I thought it was a martial art.
0: Okay, indeed. Yeah. Is that what you thought? Yeah. I had no consi- no, no concept whatsoever on. No. Given that it wasn't no, described, yeah. that's right. not too surprising. Right. Yeah.
1: It wasn't – yeah, it wasn't really well – I interpreted it as just another martial art. Yeah.
0: The, Jessica used it to, to best Stilgar, right? Yeah. Yes. When they first meet him. And so I guess, yeah, that's the, the implication there is that it's some kind of fighting technique. Yeah. And I liked the implementation of it in uh, the miniseries. We'll come back to that. So let's, let's go ahead and transition to the David Lynch film. 1984 movie. <laughs> from 1984. With a, a ton of famous people in it. Right. Yes. The star power – or not just star power, but the caliber of people that they have yeah. because not everybody is a star like Brad Dourif he's not not a star he's a character actor I
1: have to say I thought it was going to be a really good movie because of the cast and I was
0: sorely disappointed
1: <laughs> Yeah Yeah and when I was looking through the cast to be, I didn't I didn't notice that Patrick Stewart was cast as Gurney I just saw that it had Patrick Stewart I think if I noticed that it would have been like he is not right for that part I don't think he fits the bill he's not what I pictured Yeah, yeah.
0: I I pictured more like um Jason Statham or you know I don't know. He's he's, don't know. he's even a little too clean cut. right? I I picture, I picture more a, a like grizzled. the that
1: played Little John and Robin Hood. Which Robin Hood? The Kevin, Kevin Costner one. Yeah,
0: yeah. I can like see that big
1: burly dude. He's got some crazy scars his face and makes him look even more badass. You know, something like that.
0: But he he plays a lute.
1: Yes. So, yes. John played Little John played something. I think. I
0: don't oh, know. so he's a bard. You're saying <laughs> he's a bard. He's a bard. <laughs> <laughs> he's a troubadour. He's a troubadour. He's <laughs> right. a
1: troubadour warrior. Yeah, he says so in the book.
3: Yes. Plus yeah. plus one attack. Plus one on charisma. <laughs>
0: Right. <laughs> Again with the D&D references. <laughs> the the only reason I get any of them is because of um, playing Munchkin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Okay, so the 1984 movie. Kyle McLaughlin, Patrick Stewart, uh, Brad Dourif, uh, Sting. The dude from Hunt for Red October. Um, right. The National Security Advisor guy. Yes. Um, yep. Sting in the
1: plastic speedo is awesome. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that that cod piece is epic yeah
0: i, sh- I should probably that's find brilliant. an image of that and drop it into the show notes for the ladies <laughs> you'd burn out people's eyeballs yeah such a beautiful Ignited. boy yes uh sean young sean young yes that's um oh and then who plays princess irulan oh um vanessa no no not vanessa i was thinking vanessa redgrave and that's totally not it um virginia yeah. madsen virginia madsen yeah the v name you know yeah. They all look the same to me. Uh, Jose Ferrer, Linda Hunt, Freddie right. Jones, Jurgen Prochnow. There we go. That's 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 an actor that I enjoy.
1: Yeah. So what the hell went wrong? Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> to me- that's the,
0: that's the question for this phase. <laughs> yeah.
1: To me, I think they put
3: in things that don't belong there, like mm-hmm. the weirding modules. And I think they right. took out things which are really important, which is- Yeah. Uh, they made the Harkonnens the bad guys. Right. And the Harkonnens aren't the bad guys.
0: That's Mm -hmm. interesting, because I'm I'm glad you got back to that, because that was kind of what we were talking about earlier, right? Yeah, right. That makes this a challenging thing to adapt in a lot of ways. It does. So I definitely don't – of course, I can't agree with you that it's just because they took stuff out and put different stuff in. Um, I just feel like the script is completely incoherent. Yeah, yeah.
3: There's a quote from William Hurt in one of the Wikipedia articles. So it's referenced from someplace. Mm -hmm. He wanted to be in that movie. I guess he really liked the Dune series or something. Mm-hmm. And when he saw the movie, he was really glad he wasn't in it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, one thing the movie did really well that I liked, and you probably absolutely hated, I liked the um, the interior monologues coming out. Oh, come because on. Because it helped, you know, it helped bring out <laughs> some more of the story. Because, you know, it's it's all introduction of, you know, he knows our ways.
0: Um, the sleeper away. <laughs> yeah, but, okay. Okay. So, yeah. Um, Okay, come on, you've got to be hoisted on your own petard here because because <laughs> the the <laughs> interior <on> monologue <laughs> is absolutely brutal in this movie. <laughs> I mean I the the weight of it is an entirely a negative. I, I get the idea that you're glad it was there in yeah. concept, but in right. execution, there there are so many places when that interior whisper thing that happened made that made that scene worse. Right. Like th- to me, like 85% of them were completely unnecessary. And like detracted from the scene, made made me think, oh, they don't think I'm smart enough to understand what's going on.
1: Yeah, I given think it the- was not well executed, in my opinion. Uh, there was a lot. There was a lot of times where I couldn't tell whether he was actually supposed to be speaking or not, or it was actually in his head. They didn't make a whole lot of differentiation between someone actually speaking and someone talking in their head. I don't know when you show a know picture how you of somebody, can do that, but. It was a whisper, right? It was a whisper. Yeah. It was.
3: It sounded backgroundy, and their lips weren't moving. That's how you can tell they aren't speaking. There was
1: there was a <laughs> lot of times where they didn't even show the person who they didn't actually show the person who was thinking in their
0: head. I thought most of the time they focused on the face. There were a couple times I think it was kind of from. There behind. were several times where yeah. they didn't do that. But there was, was also like,
1: well, what the hell is going on here?
0: There was also some bad ADR in there. So, well, yeah. um, but yeah. it was usually a whisper, right? But yeah. I, so I guess I I do understand. Basically, what you're saying is you like the fact that the interior monologue made it into the film. I think without the interior monologue, it's,
3: it's even worse. It's even worse, and I think yeah. it, I think it gave this, this movie a chance. So we may have to disagree about this. I think that without the interior monologue in the 1984 right. movie it would have been completely in, yeah. completely incomprehensible. Yeah. Right. You you guys would say that you agree that there should have been more content there but not presented that way. Yeah. Yeah. You Seth you would say it should be presented as as dialogue between characters.
0: I, no not necessarily because that's okay. kind of awkward, right? Um I would dump most of the interior monologue altogether and and say look, film is a visual medium. Tell it with pictures. But I don't know how that works. I'm not a screenwriter.
2: Um,
0: but right. so let's start this conversation right now because there is a remake in the works. Right? Yes. And, and you're, you're telling me one of your big ticket items is interior monologue. I,
3: I can't think of a better way to present the information from the interior monologue. That doesn't mean there isn't one. <laughs> right. That doesn't mean there won't be one. And, and again, right, the, the, the real purpose of this book is not Paul taking the planet back from the, from the Harkonnens, the real purpose of the book is the beginning of his journey. As you know, the Kwisatz Haderach, the the destined person from the Benny Jasheret.
0: Okay, and that is, of course, the main thing missing from the film, right? Yes, along with um, (laughs) comprehensibility.
1: Yes, because we even uh, before you had gotten here, uh, Seth was talking to Emily about this. Oh, okay. So, could you tell what the story was? No. (laughs) Did you know what was going on in the movie? No. Yeah, yeah. That was the probably if I could take anything from the movie or say anything about the movie is that without reading the book first. You don't know what's going on very well.
3: Well, if you're going to do, uh, do a, a two-hour adaptation of that movie, I think the only people that would understand are people that read the book. Right. And when we talk about the miniseries, we'll have to have a separate conversation.
0: Right. <laughs> right. And I definitely want to circle back to kind of what our wish list is, what items we want to see in the new adaptation. And then we can kind of circle back when that one comes out and see how the movie did.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: So I could lose the weirding modules. Wouldn't miss those at
3: all. Right. Um, yeah. yes. wh- one of my favorite things from this movie – is the portrayal of Baron Harkonnen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he is absolutely
3: batshit nuts. <laughs> flying around, ogling young boys, killing people by pulling yes. out their heart plugs, cackling madly. He's also a quite disgusting
1: man. He is an extremely yes. disgusting
3: man. You are not supposed to like him. Yeah.
1: That's not quite how I pictured him in the book, though. No. Oh, nor, I was- did, nor did I picture the flying around thing. Really. He's a serial pedophile. Yeah. In yes. the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the and book, so, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, and since you can't do that, you couldn't do that in 1984. I'm hoping you can't do that nowadays either. <laughs> um, but yeah, you got to make him gross some other way. And man, with that pustulescent yeah. face and flying yeah. around in Lilu's
1: orange strappy outfit. Yeah, he yeah, was
0: – yeah. <laughs> yeah. They definitely made him disgusting.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, right. I, th- I, I think they – so the I got the sense in the book that the Harkonnen family was overall kind of like the, the- – the evil family, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so they did a very good job of making them evil and more evil and disgusting in the movie. Yeah, but they're so <laughs> mustache-twirling,
0: though.
1: That, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to the point of comical. It's kind of appropriate for the 80s, like, though. The first thing
0: that I wrote <laughs> down for this movie was all the eyebrows. <laughs> 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 like the tans are right. in the of manscaping.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was obvious that they're tans.
0: I was, I was curious if the eyebrows were credited separately. And- <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yes, Mr. Duras' eyebrow double. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I liked that they had the forehead hat, to the tattoo, for the for men for Dr. Hat. Yui? Yeah, for Doctor Yui of the Imperial Conditioning. So all all these visual things, I think, were kind of done well and right.
0: Right. So things that I liked about the movie. One of them, out of context, I thought was cool. In context, I don't like it, and and that was the Navigator scene because we don't know anything about the Navigators in the book. Not
3: really. We know they're right. mutated.
0: We think they're mutated. We know they're mutated to the point that they can, you know, execute wormholes and that kind of stuff. Right. But we don't see any kind of description of them. Paul asks about them. His father basically brushes it aside. And at the very end in the climactic scene, Paul notices a navigator. Like his contact falls out or something. I can't remember exactly what happens, but he he sees that he's got the blue eyes.
1: Right. Mm. The
0: blue on blue eyes. But other than that, he's a normal man. But he recognizes that he's a navigator. Huh. But, and this is, this is, I can rank on this with the way the movie presents it. They present him as a third stage navigator, meaning someone who has been uh, mutated.
1: The floating brain for, for thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, and talk
3: about one of the trippier scenes of the movie, which, which added to it and didn't, I don't think it needed to be there. You know, in the book, it simply says, they're navigators. They fold space. It's how we get around. The movie has to show right. this guy emitting spice gas and warp farts and all kinds right. of things coming out of his bodily <laughs> orifices. His sphincter. Yeah, sphincter. More sphincter.
0: Well, and there were other navigators there, too, who looked more or less human, but kind of freaky. Right? Yeah. Um, but in really terms great. of like the art direction of that, and I like Jose Ferrer, who's a good actor, and yeah. did what he could with the material. Um, so, I kind of like that scene, but I don't like the fact that it exists because it spoils the Imperial involvement, the Navigator um, complicity, and mm-hmm. everything from the very beginning. Yes. And, and yeah, it takes all the punch out of the story, really. Anything else, positive or negative, to say about the, the film? Positive. I liked the soundtrack.
1: You liked the photo? <laughs> okay. I did. I think it totally fits. <laughs> yeah.
3: You know, I had the soundtrack when I was growing up. I may still have it on a cassette tape back at the house someplace. And I remember one of the names of one of the tracks, and it's the Flying Fat Man. Nice.
0: You thought, I can the be Flying, the flying Fat man. man someday.
3: That's right. I just need some anti-grav. That's what we
0: should name <laughs> ourselves when we're running. The Flying Fly Fat Man. Only well, we don't go fast enough
3: today. No. <laughs> we could be the hovering, blown-by-the-wind Fat Man.
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> Sean Young... Uh, as Janie, Channy, whatever is not given much to do, but I do feel like she fits the description better.
3: Well, and she knows his right name.
0: Oh, do we need to talk about Usul? <laughs> <laughs> Usul, yes. Uh, does yes. she saw him that in the in the film?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. This he is one of my other he, he is he
3: is. Tell the me about Usel the waters the of your planet, Usul. Okay, right. Come on. That's okay. a quote from the book.
0: I was arguing with James about this one earlier. I feel like yeah, having three names for the character. It's 40. It's 40. Yeah, really. Yeah. Kwisach um, get Quisarch, It's, just, it's, Paul, it's very, well, Usel,
1: Or Mahdi. or, or, or Mardi Wade, right? That makes 5 and Mahdi. And Mahdi yeah, to make six
0: as the Mahdi. That's a roll.
3: Yeah. Yeah, some of those are titles like the Lisa yeah. and al Gabe and the Kwisach Hotarock right. and
0: Yeah, I feel like that it's too much. It's it's like it's it's pushing it over the fantasy needle to where I don't like
3: it. You know, it's <laughs> it's the Fremen culture though. Right. This is what we will call you in here. Now, what do you want to be known of at large? Right. What is the name of the mouse?
0: Right.
3: I don't remember the exact quote. You can fill in the rest.
0: Okay. Well, what yeah. I will say is something that I want excised from any future adaptations is the name Usul.
1: I think that's something we <laughs> want in every future adaptation. Usul. <laughs> we win. You're wrong. All right. <laughs> what did you think of the shields? The personal shields. Ooh. So we should talk <laughs> about the CGI. <laughs> Let's
0: talk about the effects. There,
1: <laughs> not no.
0: Though, I will say that, you know, the sandworms...
1: Actually, I thought the sandworms weren't actually that bad.
0: They're not horrible. Yeah. They're, they're practical effects, and right. usually prefer practical effects.
1: The sandworms by themselves. The parts where he's, like, riding them and all, that was just really absolutely terrible.
0: terrible. The, the part where they're, yeah. they're executing the attack on, on the right. Of-
1: yeah, that's it looked like a weird. it looked like a heavy metal uh, music video. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah,
0: and part of it is the weirding mod- modules, right? Because there's right. going Pew pew pew. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I also didn't like the voice in this one in 1984. Yeah. How
0: did you see? I. Yeah, I'm curious. How would you like to see that represented? Because oh, yeah, in, in that's the book, a good essentially, it is you use the voice based on your kind of uh, reading of that person. So it would, right. I think, it would sound different to different people, and it isn't necessarily you modulating your voice in any way. It's right. Just somehow, it's it's targeted at that person. So I'm not sure that you need an effect. I'd like to see maybe something like. Um, did you ever see Forever Night? No. The vampire Cop Show. Mm. Oh, it's so 90s. Everything was on the Dutch angle, like all the time. It was all like slightly askew. Oh. Um, yeah.
1: I don't know. I, I when they, when read from reading it, I was thinking just something of kind of a Jedi mind trick, I suppose. Okay.
0: So what I was pitching was in in um, Forever Night. The vampires had to, like a mesmerism thing that they could do right. to, to brainwash people or to make them forget something.
1: Yeah, stand still,
3: while I vamp you.
0: Right, and so well, no, no, just like if they wanted somebody to not well, remember that That's like standard them.
1: vampire mythology, right there.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but every time, whenever that happened, you basically like heard a heartbeat yeah. over, and then their speech was kind of echoey.
3: You know, I would say that is the best thing to do. Leave the voice there unaltered, but play something behind it, Mm -hmm. something to let you know, you know, this is the force. This is the the voice.
0: Or maybe just go firestarter and just have the hair blow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so in the book, though, they do explain how they're, they are taking on kind of a different voice, right? They have to tone it right for the person and they're speaking to him more or less calmly or in any, like, there's not a whole lot of fluctuation in the way they're speaking to that person while they're using the voice. Yeah, and to, to me that seemed kind of men, Jedi mind tricky because that's kind of what they do. Yeah. He says it, you know, very smoothly, very clearly, yeah. and directly at the person. Yeah, and you know that he's using the force, but there's no special sound or See, this poofy is, pixie dust or this whatever. Is exactly. This
0: is one of my points about about the interior monologue mm-hmm. because in the um, Gamjowar scene, in the testing scene, you know, mm-hmm. in the 1984 film, she uses the voice on him, and you right. can tell she's using some technique on him. And you can tell that he's resisting it in some way. And yet he has to. Tell yeah. She's trying to use the voice. on Yeah.
1: It's no, because. That, that
0: was unnecessary.
1: Oh, yeah, they did.
3: Because there was no discussion of what the voice was.
0: It doesn't matter. You, you don't need to know that it's called the voice. You just know she's using some technique on him. And then maybe a reference it sometime later. But the entire monologue, yeah. I did not think it was needed.
3: Mm. At all it. But there's the movie was so long. I don't think there was any time for later. Long? <laughs> uh, for a standard one-off movie. Mm-hmm. It was really long. They had to cut out so much that to come back and explain later about the voice or right, you know, anything else. How long else, was
1: the movie, the version that we watched? Wasn't it like, seemed longer was
3: than
1: it was. It? was. Yeah. Hey, but what was it? I don't know. I don't remember. Was it
3: two or two and a half? 136 minutes, according to Wikipedia. Okay. Now, that would be the okay. probably standard cut, not director's cut. Yeah. Right.
0: So that's, yeah. I mean, like over two hours. So over two, a little over two hours. A little yeah. long. Um, hmm. And yet it felt rushed. Because, because of right. the cutout, right? Because how yeah. choppy the story was. Um, and then, you know, even with a nice montage of them doing
3: the pew-pew-pew thing. Pew-pew-pew! <laughs> Which, you know, in the book is like
1: three or four paragraphs. They say two years passed. Right. Between right. books two and three. Mm-hmm. But back to the voice in the movie. Because not only that part bugged me, but then also in you know, the very end he uses his voice to shatter the earth, basically. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then cause the rain to happen. All the other nonsense. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Well and so uh, I didn't remember that. And you guys remember I said if it starts raining, I'm gonna be yeah. genuinely
1: pissed. <laughs> Cause it totally removes like the Fremen having any reason to make it rain too. They're the ones hoarding the water and actually using some sort of science, planetology, to, you know, make their the basically what's terraforming. What's, terraforming, thank you. I was like, what's the word I'm thinking of? Terraforming your planet. Like
0: read your mind. Yes. Get out of my you know,
1: Mister Herbert heart. said something about that final
3: scene. Okay, yeah, and it, it is this: I have my quibbles about the film of the film, of course. And before he said that he actually enjoyed parts of the film. Mm-hmm. Paul was a man playing God, not a God who could make it rain. Right. Correct. But then again, right? That's all this backstory and side story and mythology and sociology that was left out of the the book, the, the that movie. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I will say, Kyle McLaughlin's hair was fabulous. True. It was the star of the film. The true star. <laughs> Anything else about that one?
1: Movie? Mm, yeah. I'm trying to think of something that was good. I don't know.
3: They did the blue eyes pretty well, I thought. Eyes were blue.
1: I think they did all the blue the eyes better in that movie than they did in the miniseries. Totally agree. Yeah. yeah. You- there you go. That's my good thing about the movie. The okay. blue eyes. <laughs> blue eyes. <laughs> um moving
0: on. Moving on. Moving so, on. Sure. So one other thing to talk about um about that film is that there was a previous attempt to adapt
3: do. Yodorowsky
0: uh wanted to do a completely nuts version of it. and And to anybody out there who's seen Dune and read the book and enjoyed it, I highly recommend checking out Yodorowsky's Dune. It's a documentary. It's only like an hour and a half long. Oh. And, and the guy's very interesting. Um,
1: it's a documentary about how he would have done it? Yeah. Oh. He
0: has a complete book, a, a book that's like four or five inches thick of oh. all of the art design, all the storyboards. Um, kind of oh. all the ideas because they got to the point of building sets before uh-huh. the club was pulled okay oh, uh-huh. and part of that was because he had probably said to the wrong person i envision this as maybe a 12-hour movie maybe <laughs> and uh, yeah insane dang um, but look at the miniseries sure but in you know 1972 or whatever it was when he was trying to do it um nobody was going to Rubber stamp that, right? The, right. You know, they could just see budgets rolling.
1: I imagine that would have been really, really, really expensive back then.
0: Yeah, and well, and, yeah. and the thing mm-hmm. was, he wanted um, he wanted Mick Jagger to play Ralph. Oh, he yeah. Wanted, uh, Orson Welles <laughs> to play the Baron because he totally looked like he looked like he needed the suspensions. Salvador Dali as the Emperor. Oh
1: my God. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> he had hired H.R. Giger to do the art design, and, wow. and so there's there's still a lot of that That has made it into subsequent films like. Mm, well, obviously Alien. Yeah. Uh, so the influence of Yodorovsky's attempt really did influence future films. Just unfortunately, not really the David Lynch one. <laughs> um, but yeah, he wanted Pink Floyd to do the music. Well, oh, That would have been he perfect. Cool. Instead, he wanted yeah. to make it like a hallucinatory film. Like, like a hallucination, but without the drugs.
3: So uh, about budget real quick. The yeah. budget for this movie was...
0: It was the first film over $5 million produced by a woman.
3: Yeah, the budget was $40 million. The budget wow. for the three-part, six-hour miniseries? $20 million.
1: Oh, jeez. <laughs> yes.
0: Credit where it's due, Rafaela De Laurentiis was the producer. Okay. Let's, let's move on. We will talk about the, the 2000 miniseries. Yeah, oh, how, about, how about we go overall <laughs> thoughts? Because we're all negative on the 1984 film. So.
3: Right. You know, even so, it's such a big part of science fiction history and culture, you should watch it.
0: I don't know that I'd go that far. Yeah. I will say I was not entertained by it. and And that's that's hard to accomplish because even Rollerball, right. I was entertained by how bad it was.
1: You mean the '70s one?
0: No, 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 the the, the remake. Oh, the remake. Yeah, like like the Rollerball remake would be a good mm. one to watch just specifically to make fun of. Right. Like so bad it's good almost, but not really. Right. Where where uh, this one I feel like that's a good point. There's not that much redeeming about it because it is simultaneously rushed and boring because the story is hard to follow. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, and I think it's also a a proof point in being careful about how you adapt things, because sometimes things that don't belong, that were added to the story, get carried along in future adaptations. That's true. And that's not always a good thing. All
0: right. So anyhow, overall thoughts on on the 2000. Uh, You'll go last. (laughs) (laughs) I remember enjoying it when I I first checked it out from the library, just specifically for the column reason, right? There's -hmm. more of the book
3: here. Yeah, there's a lot of book there, but there was no interior monologue. And so I, was, I kept on expecting people to say something like, you know, he knows our ways, and being questionable. And you couldn't say that out loud in normal conversation at that point.
0: No, you couldn't. But I, I maintain that in that scene, you're talking about the scene with Kynes, when, when, with Liet, when they first meet him.
3: Right, and they have, the, they have their steel suits on because they're going out to visit the manufacturing right. facility.
0: Yeah, and he, he checks the fit, and he asks him if he's seen it before. And you can kind of see from his face, this, this is significant. You don't know exactly what, because you don't really introduce the all
3: that many of the prophecy elements. Right. Um, the prophecy is downplayed, but uh, Paul's role, I think, is a little closer to the front. Yeah. You know, he says at one point to Jessica, you know, that I am more than the Kwisach Haderach. Yeah.
1: Something along those lines. Yeah, that yeah, sounds about right. Something like that. Yeah. Well, okay, so overall thoughts. Positive on the
0: 2000 series? With reservations? I
1: have
3: a couple of quibbles. Okay. You know, we just talked about blue eyes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so
0: we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. So, James... Uh, due, due to considerations not beyond our control, but we wanted a podcast <laughs> today, and we were watching yesterday. right um, Colin and I had already watched the first part of it, right? The first disc, or no, I guess the first episode. First right? episode, yes. So yeah. since James has already read the book, we told him just start with us on episode two, <laughs> and you'll be fine. So James is not commenting on the entire miniseries. Um, so you missed this is true. You missed some things that I'm. Doesn't make
1: sound make. like you missed much.
0: <laughs> but what, what did you think overall of the 2000?
1: Yeah, it was pretty crappy. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't care for it? No. Not at all. I
0: don't I don't really like
1: campy sci fi shows. And that's what that seemed like to me. Really? Yeah. Okay. Way too campy.
3: Don't like it. Is is the campiness from the plot or from the effects or from the uh, length or
1: mostly the effects and the like sound stages, I guess. That's effects though too. So
0: the production <laughs> values,
1: and production. Yeah, design. the production value basically was really low. Okay.
0: So for me, like if I wanna Point out positives that I
1: And the acting wasn't that great either. Actually, I don't. Think. I didn't think it was
0: universally great. I. Yeah. I, and you didn't even really get to see the William Hurt's uh, <laughs> portrayal, and he's a good actor. I've seen him in, in things that I've enjoyed him in. Yes. Yeah. But to me, like he, he didn't hurt him. me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He uh, he did not impress me with. Right. He didn't seem to want to be there. Yeah. Um, I really like Ian McNeese as the uh, Baron. I thought I thought he was good, despite the fact that he floated a little. Right. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, he was still disgusting because um, he's got that, yeah. that part where he's in the Zardoz outfit. <laughs> yeah, um, he, they don't establish him as a pedophile because because any of the men that he's with seem to be of age.
3: Well, except for the the slave that tries to kill him.
0: Well, he he refers to him as a boy, but it's probably a nineteen
3: year old. Yeah,
0: I mean, he's still real pervy the, the way he talks to Fade. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely Fade
3: beautiful face. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um and I'm curious like if if I asked somebody who's gay if you know what they thought of doing probably a pretty negative view of the fact that the one homosexual character is oh, yeah. complete perv and pedophile. Right. Yeah. Um I actually like Alec Newman as Paul. I like that he's kind of small. I mean he's 5'10, so he's not small, but a lot of the other characters aren't. Paul. 5'10
1: is small. Shut up, James! <laughs> Shut up, James! <laughs> it's like, it's 5'10. At least that's what it says on his license. Uh, it says five eleven on
0: my license. So. In shoes,
3: I could be five ten in shoes. They'd flat, be really tall shoes. shoes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, uh, I like uh, Saskia Reeves, who plays Jessica. I thought she does she does a good job. And so the one thing that the miniseries does is it has it basically says. Paul and Jessica are our main characters. Paul is the main character, but Jessica is kind of a secondary, uh-huh. major role. Mm-hmm. And it does a couple of things where it beefs up their characters a little bit, giving lines to them and insights to them that belonged to Dupleto in the book. Um, so, like, when they're first having that council thing, um, when they first get to Arrakis, and talking about what to do with, um, I can't remember what it was, it's some, something about profits from Spice. And he has the idea mm-hmm. to bank it all and write it off on your taxes. Right. Um, bank it all in the Emperor's name. And Leto has that idea. Well, in the miniseries, Paul has it. And then Leto decides, we're not doing the thing where you're going to sell the drippings from hand towels. Mm-hmm. Jessica does that in the miniseries. Right. So mm. I think they're like, these are these are our heroes, so we're going to make them
3: Make awesome them Osmer, awesome. awesome. yeah. I didn't mind that. I think Jurgen Procknow did a better job as the Duke.
1: What do you think about them bringing in the princess more? I like that a lot. Actually.
0: Yeah. Because um, you had said that she shows up at the party,
1: right? When they first come to Arrakis. Yeah,
0: yeah. And yeah, so so the book is interesting because each chapter is introduced by a little snippet from a book mm-hmm. um, that's authored by the princess.
1: A couple different books, I think. Actually. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. Books. Yeah.
0: In My Father's House. the Right. Lord, Ames and Laden,
1: yeah. All ri- right. written by her. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I kind of liked the fact that you got a, little, a few more peaks in on the Imperium mm-hmm. through her. That was a little strange, the amount of traveling that she did, um, because mm. you'd think that the navigator travel is probably not cheap,
3: right? Well, if you're the Emperor,
0: I guess that's true. But and you know, I like the actress who portrayed her, so I, I enjoyed that as a as an addition.
3: Yeah, I think there was too much addition
0: of in that particular case, or yeah. overall
1: for Irulan.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a little strange that she she went to Boink Fade or. or Tease him a little bit. Yeah,
1: yeah. That, was, that was kind of weird for me. It kind of seemed out of place, and I don't exactly know what purpose it served.
0: Well, she was trying to figure out what her father was up to, and that, that is what kind of leads her to the decision at the end. Yeah, but I don't to
1: think that whole subplot was
0: even necessary, though. I think, I think you're supposed to buy that she admires Paul in some way through that, and that's what yeah. makes it palatable to her to marry him.
3: Hmm. You know, when the ti- at the time these, that book was written, women didn't have the freedom and the rights that they have today. the sixties. Yeah. But still. I guess you got
0: women's limp.
3: But consider the person who wrote it. He's not a man of the sixties. He's a man of the forties and the fifties years before. Um and I'm thinking of other science fiction as well. There was the um the Dorsai series by Gordon R. Dixon,
2: hmm.
3: where one the ruler of one planet was bred to be specifically attracted to the most powerful man in the universe, the galaxy at that time. And you can tell by her actions who the powerful person actually is. So people are always watching her, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, mm-hmm. As a as a mm-hmm. princess, Irulan would have done the right thing for the empire to to consolidate power right. and and take care of her position.
1: Yeah. So I th- I think it's I think the whole I think her whole subplot is irrelevant. Okay. Yeah, and it was well, unnecessary. <laughs> I
0: didn't mind. I, I mean, I yeah, I will stick with what I said before. I really like that. But yeah, so that's an addition that I liked.
1: But they might have introduced it just to fill out three hour and a half episodes. So, <laughs> that
0: is <true> as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like there's other stuff they couldn't have
3: done. Yes,
0: um, one thing. So one thing I like about Alec Newman, and you didn't get to see this part where, where he's kind of the younger version, more immature mm-hmm. version. His hairstyle changes. <laughs> um, but, really? but we were describing him as the the Luke wanting to go to Tashi Station version of, 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 of right,
3: Paul. Right, right, right. Yeah, I didn't feel like that was in the book.
0: Not so much, but but I yeah. thought it was an okay portrayal. It it gives him some dynamic range. Mm-hmm. We should mention that the two thousand thing probably aired in standard definition.
3: Yes,
1: yes, mm-hmm.
0: uh, and therefore it might. might Maybe
1: the effects it. might have held up better for me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it
0: might be that we, we go with James' injunction to go with Firestarter, watch it on VHS, right, or in standard definition. Very international cast. To the, to the television thing, probably for yeah. budget reasons, because international actors are probably cheaper, because like, you don't have to pay Screen Actors Guild fees and that kind of stuff.
3: True. Right.
0: So you have, and they shot it in Prague, And so, and oh, okay. on stages, you know, on on stages. Right, stage, clearly on
1: stages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And that's that's one of the weak parts, like you said, the production part right. is not great, where you're like, wow, that sand looks like it's inches thick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: and the lighting seems off. Yeah, the Lighting, yeah. Was there was always the soap orange popper. lighting
0: during the day, and then the blue lighting. I didn't get the
1: blue color. lighting; that yeah. did not make sense to me, and
3: it was everywhere. Must have been in reflected moonlight or something odd.
1: Yeah, and the eyes, the eyes are right. Bright. The the, eye, the yeah. ICG was
3: absolutely terrible. Yeah. The book very clearly describes them as being blue on blue,
1: mm-hmm.
3: almost without irises or openings, yeah. right? Yeah. And the eighty four movie, I think, did a pretty good job at that. Although I think the eyes were so like I'm... luminescent in the dark. Yeah. Um, but in the in the miniseries, if you turned 90 degrees, your eyes mm-hmm. were white.
0: Yep. <laughs> if you
3: were at 45 degrees of the camera, your eyes were white.
0: There were plenty of times they were straight out of the camera and the eyes were white. Yeah.
3: Uh, or
1: monochrome. Yeah. Not <laughs> monochrome. H- heterochromatic, I guess. Yes. Yeah, that's what I meant.
0: Heterochromia. Yeah. Oh, where well, one was blue and right. was the other one. I, oh. I actually do remember that happening. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I would be in shadow. It would be bright blue, and an eye would be lit because the shadow would fall on the face half the way, Mm -hmm. and that eye was white.
0: Right.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, it's funny.
0: (laughs) Uh, One of the subplots that gets excised completely, and, you know, to be fair, it wasn't in the 1984 film either, was Fu for Howard. Right. And and his suspicions of Jessica, and the planting of suspicions Uh of Jessica. Yes. Which That's entirely missing from all adaptations thus far.
3: Well, y- and you mentioned this to me because we argued about it, and I, I think you were there. So ring it in and, and tell me if I get okay. too far afield here, James. In the third movie of the miniseries,
2: mm-hmm.
3: Thufra Hawat meets Jessica after she's become the reverend mother of the the Fremen. No, no, no. no.
0: You're, you're, see, this is the confusing names thing. You're thinking of Gurney.
3: <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Gurney, Gurney grabs her and yeah, is going of, to kill her because nowhere, she was too. the one – she was the that one was that weird. was supposed to have betrayed the Duke
0: that does tie into for how though right because he had confronted her in the book and said I think you're you're betraying the, the Duke right there's that whole scene between them mm-hmm. where she said he says I'll apologize to you if I'm wrong about this and then you know, you know the betrayal happens basically right then and it's not her but right. he is um, the Baron makes him continue to believe that she was responsible.
3: Because he's lost his mentat, He needs a new one, and he needs a motivated one. So he gives him the cat and says, milk this to get your antidote every day, because I've poisoned you.
0: No, it's a subplot that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man>. and, <laughs> and the
3: cat had a rat duct tape to the side, yeah, inside the cage, miss. suspended in this that's little so
0: harness weird. thingy.
1: I'm like, that's Whoa. so weird. <laughs> that was very strange. I totally had lost that from my memory from
0: yesterday.
1: Speaking of weird, the weirding way. I guess it was much better in the miniseries.
0: It was, though though the execution but of it, it was only... a little of weird. Times, yeah. Weird. <laughs> um, it, it looked almost like teleportation. Yeah. I think it was That's more what I thought like, it was kinda dumb, like super speed.
3: Melt from where you are, appear slightly
0: off to the side. The strangest yes. thing in, in the adaptation to me was when Paul peed himself. And I could not find... I, I couldn't find like a, a video of it anywhere, and I took the, the DVD back from the library. I was going to
1: take a
0: capture of it. When, when he's doing <laughs> his weird Messiah thing, um, <laughs> and when he, when he basically tells him, look, I'm not going to challenge Gurney, you morons, because Gurney, or not Gurney, uh, Stillgar. Stilgar. 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 Stilgar's an awesome fighter. Right. Um, and I'm your duke. Yay. And then all of a sudden, all the water started pouring out. <laughs> oh, was yeah. like, oh. ah. Yeah, yeah. And the expression on his face. <laughs> ah. <silver> <laughs> because he beat himself.
1: Made him hold it too right? long. I guess. It's all nice and warm. That was strange. <laughs> so, and you're going to
0: disagree with me. Just, okay. Just, just get ready. Tell you
3: what, I'm going to do a special. I'm not going to disagree with you. James will disagree on my behalf. <laughs>
0: I don't know if accepted. Oh, okay. um, I, I do feel like they could have shortened the miniseries and still come up with a better thing altogether. I don't I don't mm. feel like what is wrong with the miniseries and I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like what's wrong with it can be necessarily put down to they didn't include enough of the book. I thought they, they had some good bones there. I think they did need to cut yeah. things, and you guys have already kind of said that you thought that the princess stuff could be cut and maybe replaced with something. Right.
3: Oh, it, it could have been cut and not replaced; that would have been fine. But like James said, right? You uh, having enough for two and a half movies just doesn't cut it. You have to. It, right. you, there seems to be this rule: you have to do three full ones.
0: Mm-hmm. I think if there's anything that they could definitely do better in in the 2000 version mm-hmm. um, would be to somehow tie in more about his premonitions of the future jihad. Mm-hmm. Because that that is like you said that's kind of the enemy. Where where in this right. one the enemy is still kind of the emperor and the guild.
1: Yeah, yeah. and the Harkonnen. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think it's better executed in the nineteen eighty four film, but it, there's still something missing
1: there. Yeah, Nothing I think it's
2: stay.
3: yeah, I think it's completely missing from the nineteen eighty four film. Yes, um, and it, it's mentioned a few times in the in the miniseries, but yeah. It, I guess from a financial standpoint if you're a movie, if you're a if you're paying for this yeah. and you don't want to do anything else after this or you know it's a big risk because the first movie was a flop right. it lost 10 million dollars mm-hmm. uh he was working on the follow-up movies never got to finish them because it did so poorly mm-hmm. um it's really only known about today because it achieved cult status right. it was you know, right. eight, it nine- doesn't set up a sequel very
0: well
3: no it, it can't happen. there's right. nothing to sequelize yeah.
1: right or this one kind
0: of drops off at the end, kind of like the book does. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think the book is set up perfectly for a sequel. Do
0: you want to talk about
3: Usul? <laughs> Where I'm is Usul? So it, it would have <laughs> cost them nothing for them to refer to him by two names.
0: I guess it wouldn't have cost them anything, but I don't think it really gains anything other than fidelity to the book, which is not enough of the
3: reason. So in the Uncanny Valley, okay. when we're talking about computer animation of humans... Mm-hmm. <laughs> If you get so close, the littlest things often give away the fact that you're looking at an animation. And that also goes back to Rogue One, Mm -hmm. right? They did a great job doing a CGI animation of of people um, that aren't that age or are no longer with us. And yet it wasn't close enough that you couldn't tell the difference. And we've talked about how they should have done it or how they could have done it better to make the differences Mm -hmm. not so noticeable or to play towards tech, Mm -hmm. right? It costs them nothing. It doesn't cost them (laughs) time. It doesn't (laughs) cost them plot. To call him Usul, and it's a detail that people who are persnickety—persnickety—that's <laughs> a really nice way of saying that. Thank you. Um, they could have called him yeah, I, I, Usul.
0: Just, just to me, like I, I can't possibly sum up any outrage over that because because I feel like it's extraneous in the book. But, mm. but I, I'm prepared to be wrong. So James, you earlier expressed, no, it makes uh, sense to have more, you know, a personal name for him, yeah, a pet
1: name. I think yeah. it makes sense. I like the way they explained it in the book. Like
0: every every time you had the repeated, "Tell me about the waters of your world," Woody column right. was like not shouting. Usul, Usul, Usul. I mean, I, I guess I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have noticed and gone. Um, oh, good. They used the name Usul or been annoyed by it in any way. I mean, it's the fact that you brought it up that makes me want. Laugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> just to oppose you. Okay. Um, anything else to talk about, about?
3: I think the special effects could have been better. Yeah the The worms weren't done very well. They're like
0: yeah. video game cutscenes from 1994. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. The, the you know, the spaceships. The spaceships were intriguing looking because they didn't have to look like spaceships because they don't go anywhere. You're picking right. up an assembly of something and moving it from point
1: A to point B. Right. So
0: track yeah. trailer. Yeah. Yeah. But but they're so low res that it's yeah, yeah
1: it's terrible. Very, it would have yeah. been better going with like models or something oh, totally. instead of yeah. CGI.
3: Although yeah, I bet it would have been more expensive. That's true. Yeah. So are, are we creating our list of things we want to see in the new adaptation? Should it come to light from right now?
0: Yeah. I mean, are we summed up on the 2001? I think so. Okay. And then you know, the, the rankings will, will let us know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure you've really got the
1: sense of the rankings already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so
0: what do we want to see? This is uh, Vill- uh, Vinnie, Vinnie, Vinnie de la Louvre. Right. <laughs> not Oh, the director uh-huh. of Arrival is going to be <laughs> <laughs>
3: Denis Villeneuve? <laughs>
0: yeah, Villeneuve, I think.
3: New, um, yeah. okay. Um,
0: he's going to be directing the new Dune version. So what do we want to see? in that? We know this guy's capable um, visually as, as a director because Arrival is fantastic. Yeah. visually. Sicario. I great. keep
1: leaning towards something like Star Wars. I just can't get it out of my head. That's mm-hmm. something like Star Wars. Star Wars The New Hope was a better Dune movie than Dune was.
0: It did have Tatooine. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. So you're saying an on-site shot? Yeah. On-site
1: okay. shot, practical effects, as much as can be done. Yeah, I-, I would say don't skimp.
3: Don't skimp on the content. Don't be
1: afraid yeah, to go don't long. Don't skimp on the story. Uh, if you're going to do one movie, go ahead and make a long movie, I guess. I don't know. I think they could probably do it in two and a half hour movies. Two and a half hour movies. But um, I think, but I think it'd be better. Honestly, I think the whole thing could be done in two movies, but no one's going to do two movies because trilogy is all trendy now. Without stretching it, I don't think there's enough for two mo- three movies without making it seem like you're dragging in significant portion yeah
3: and who yeah who's gonna pay for three movies though right for any for that amount of content if it's going to be a movie released uh-huh. in the theaters um it's got to appeal to audiences yeah. and
1: unless unless he's gonna bring in some more books maybe I don't know to make it a trilogy but
0: yeah, and that potentially could. Although, yeah. Doom Messiah takes place some time after. It doesn't doesn't pick up exactly yeah. where it leaves off. Yeah. But there's enough yeah. so I information. Think I, I think they could do that. I
1: it think if they did. do the script correctly, they could probably pull off a two-and-a-half-hour movie or something like that.
0: Colin was holding up four fingers. I know, I saw that. Four yeah. <laughs> gone with the wind. <laughs> uh,
3: I think there's four hours of solid content there.
0: I think there is four hours of content. I don't think it's necessary to include all of it.
3: Right. But we've already seen one two and a half hour or one hour one two hour twenty minute attempt, right. and it failed miserably. So the question is, how much more?
0: Well, okay, but what I'm what I'm saying is, I, I don't necessarily agree that just adding more time would have done anything to help the 1984 one. It was an incomprehensible script. Mm-hmm. I think it is possible,
1: which is why know? I mentioned okay. the script with the right script. There definitely has to be the right script because all this, I feel like all the stuff was there in the 1984 film. I mean, you went with as much as you could do it, except for the shield effects, for the personal shield effects. They could have done something better there. <laughs> if you ditch the weirding
0: modules, there, right there, you have Right. minutes or so.
1: <laughs> right. Just pick a martial art that's vastly different than all the other martial arts being used. Whatever. You know, have all them boxing, and then all of a sudden Kung Fu comes out. Yeah. Brilliant. There I you go. Boxing. Done. Yeah. See? you Solved that one. It's clearly different. Right. Therefore, it different is weird. It's a weirding way. Bam, All you right. win. David Carradine is still been- good. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> right? He's dead. <laughs> is he dead? Yeah. Oh, dang it. That'd be, That would be one thing for me. Yeah. That'd be the, the second thing, I suppose.
0: All right. So so one, one for me is I would like to see it nonlinear. So Nolan, Batman Begins kind of fashion. I, th- I think this story hmm. would... It would be the kind of thing that could be presented well, starting toward the end and then going back with flashbacks. And having sort of parallel, kind of like Batman Begins, right, where there's more mm-hmm. than one timeline being presented. Um, I think that's one way to get around having to tell it from start to finish over a really, really long period of time, because you kind of start in the middle of it and say, "Here's how we got to here," briefly, without a bunch of narration or any interior monologue whatsoever. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that's on my uh, on my list. Um, I could
0: that.
1: see get I could see that being kind of confusing with the prophecy aspect of it, though. Could be the foretelling of the future. If you're go- right. if you're if you're constantly bouncing back and forth.
0: I, yeah, but I guess I guess the way that I think it could work is that you know Paul talks about I see the present, right? Like I can I right. know what's going on above this planet at this moment too. So the yeah. fact that he has those powers to me lends it
1: right. But I guess going back what you previously said, with uh, you would have at least I think he said something to this effect, where you would have liked to see more of the the future jihad happening.
0: Uh, in his mind.
1: Yeah, in his mind. Yeah. But if you're balancing back and forth already, trying to tell the story, I think seeing that in his mind might be kind of confusing.
0: Yeah, but he sees it at multiple points in the story. So, right. So you could have him having those visions throughout the storytelling. I mean, there's definitely pitfalls, and I don't know what uh, Mr. Yeah. V will do. Right. <laughs> I can't pronounce his name.
3: Yeah. Do we know who the scriptwriter is? I mean, the director has a huge amount of say in it, mm-hmm. but you, we all know, right? If the studio says you use this script and you direct this movie, right. the directors have a couple of options. Yeah. You, you do it as is and you take your lumps or you walk
0: away. Presumably someone on his team that he's worked with in the past. Anything that, Colin, you would like to see in the film, you, other than four hours of film?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that four hours is necessary, but I think you're gonna you're gonna it's need more than expanded. two and a half. I, I would watch the expanded edition.
1: It's going to be a long movie either way.
3: Yeah, it has to be. Um, <clears throat> You know, as much fidelity as as the script and directing time will allow. Right. So, Blue Eyes, Usul, prophecy, foreshadowing, foretelling. You know, you if you're going to prune it down, you're going to have to prune out some plots. Um, don't stick in other things if you're just going to pull it out, though. Don't put in (laughs) writing modules. Don't don't give us a whole bunch of scenes with Princess Irulan. Don't tell us a lot about the Harkonnens. Not necessarily needed. Establish Mm -hmm. that they're bad and they're in control of Dune. Are they the antagonist? They're not really the antagonist. The Bene Gesserits are more antagonists. The Fremen are more antagonists from the book Mm -hmm. because option A is universal jihad Mm -hmm. and option B is Bene Gesserit tool of control. The Harkonnens, they're just a bump along the way.
0: Yeah, right. I don't know. It's, it's pretty tough to think of any, any real way to do this without getting all the politics in. And if you get the politics in, then you still need the opponents in some way. You do. I guess what we're saying is it's going to be a trick to, yeah. you know, to, to pull it off.
3: Yes. The man that can do this should win an, an award for it. Yeah. The team that can do this should win an award for it.
0: No, it may be that they come up with some novel novel plotline that makes it awesome.
3: Uh, you know, it's risk-reward, right? Yeah, absolutely. You can take a book that has been around for you know, 50 some odd years mm-hmm. in the public consciousness, or you can add your own stuff to it and become reviled all for the rest of your career.
2: <laughs>
0: Could be. All right. Yeah. We'll be fascinating. Uh, did we cover everything we're going to
3: get back to? Uh, you want, did you want to talk about the weirding way?
0: Uh, I mean, I'd like to, I agree with James. What you mean? Maybe oh some yeah. Some kind yeah. of a martial art right. is sufficient. Oh, the, yeah. the thing that, the thing in the 2000 music is one thing that bothered me. Um, was at the end, they come charging in with their knives, and the Harkonnens are all in the Sergeant are all there with guns, and they don't repel the charge. Because I guess they're <laughs> that the, the weirding way lets them dodge the bullets.
3: Right. They had bullets, the Fremens. Yeah. yeah.
0: But the way it was filmed, and this is another another problem with that action at the end. right? And this is something that I feel like you could have cut 20 minutes off that mm-hmm. final action set, this scene. Just gotten to him confronting the emperor and fighting Fade. Yeah,
1: I don't think those battles were actually probably. No, it isn't right. possible to tell
0: what's going on. It was not, yeah. not an example of good action, and neither was 1984.
1: Right. It was yeah, hilarious. it was gratuitous in, the, in that it wasn't good action. <laughs> if
0: you can't tell what's going on, why do you care? Right. In and, and 1984 and 2000
3: both. didn't add anything. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you, I guess if you're in Prague and you can inform that many people, it <laughs> is impressive <laughs> to see that many people, real people, on a screen doing something. But maybe then you do one shot of that. Maybe they're rushing the castle.
0: Right. Well, That's did, still yeah, impressive. There, there was a wide CG shot of them charging.
3: Yeah, there was.
0: Right. Um, but yeah, so so much of it was quick cutting, you know, zoomed way too far in. You couldn't tell what was going on. You could tell if that person fell down onto a soundstage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we're about ready to rank them. Yep. James, you want to go first?
1: Mm, I'm not sure how to rank the, the last two. Definitely book first. <laughs> That's my boy. <laughs> I don't even think I can rank the other two.
3: <laughs> you could leave them off the list. I've done that.
1: Yeah, because I don't think either of them were worth watching that much. All right, the book's are worth reading. I would definitely read the book.
3: What right. you I'm gonna do something pretty similar, but I'm actually gonna rank movies, um, <laughs> uh, book, miniseries, movie. No surprise. Yeah. I still think you should watch the movie. It, it it influenced the future movie. It gives you a good perspective on, you know, how not to do things. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. Yeah, the miniseries did seem like it was more of an adaptation or a remake than an adaptation.
0: Well, I I don't think it, it took all that much from the nineteen eighty four film, other than the Flying, flying Baron. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: so for me I, I, I'm I'm with Call. Book yeah. miniseries film. Um, I don't see a lot of virtual in the film at all. The miniseries, you know, I liked it the first time I watched it. And it's one of those things like I feel like if you're deciding, I want to read Dune Messiah, you could go and watch this miniseries and you'd get, it would refresh your memory of what happened. Mm -hmm. But you'd miss some of it. You'd miss a lot of the core of it, where the actual struggle was, um, because you didn't get that much of it in the the miniseries. And it's it's hard to adapt.
3: Yeah. Books with significant interior monologues like Jumper, like Dune, they're hard to film.
0: Well, with this one, especially with with all of the the, the, the Benignetric plans and the prophecies and of the terrible purpose, it's yeah, it's hard to get on celluloid or
3: digital. I heard that they were going to release a new Star Trek movie, and to prepare people for the Star Trek movie, they did a they were thinking about a prequel comic, which covered mm-hmm. some of the events that they didn't feel like would make it into the movie and, and do well. Right, it's it's backstory and mm-hmm. grooming.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Maybe that kind of approach would work here for the new dune adaptation
1: Hmm. where you 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 put out they kind of did that for the matrix too right in between the first and second they had the animatrix yeah yeah, it was backstory which gave a lot of backstory for the second movie yeah yeah so
3: then the question is what what would you put in that versus what would be in the movie
0: yeah that's that's hard to say
1: Want to get out about raptor? in
0: Of course, you can you can check us out, uh, pavementpodcast.com and uh, facebook.com slash pavementpodcast, and we will probably put something up there to let you know what we're doing. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe we'll just do something in secret.
1: Ah. Dun, dun, dun. Speaking of
0: which, uh, I, I have started a side project tangentially related to taking to Your Reader in that it involves books.
3: He's um, he's doing another podcast on us, James.
0: <laughs> uh, so it, it's called He uh, Goes There, the He Goes There podcast, kind of based on John Robbie Campbell who goes there. Get it? Right. Um, And the idea is I want to eventually read all of the Hugo Award-winning novels. But I don't want to just go through in order. I want to Mm -hmm. have a guest on and have the guest pick the book. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the first one, I asked Colin to help me do the very first one. Gotcha. The Demolished Man by Alfred Bester. And that episode is up on the website, hugospodcast.com, which I need to to turn on the Facebook page for that. Uh, (laughs) It's actually, the feed is live and everything. It's just I haven't finished doing all the social media and that kind of stuff. So... uh, Hugospodcast.com. And that, like I said, no one's got Colin in it. Not every episode will have a Colin or a James. I've got right. uh, a bunch of other podcasters who have signed up to do a book. So cool. I'm kind of networking with other shows that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably next weekend I will record um, a Dune podcast. Because I just read it and I had somebody who was interested. Oh, uh, yeah. It. <laughs> cool. So nice. I well do it before I forget what was in the book. <laughs> right. Which is, again, why I'm listening to the audiobook.
1: Cool. So may the Dune rise up to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> And the spice always flow free. That
0: works. The spice must flow.
1: Yes. The spice must flow.
0: spice must flow. Are we good?
2: We're
1: good. We're good. Cheers.
0: All right. <laughs> Bye,
2: everybody.